Okay, <clears throat> all right. Well, uh, we're going to continue uh, today with our uh, fourth session, uh, which is Christ alone. So, so far we've seen uh, that Scripture alone has to be our sole source of authority. Anything that contradicts the Bible must be rejected. Uh, we must go to the Bible and the Bible alone as our source of authority for all things concerning salvation, uh, godliness, what it means to do the will of God and live a life pleasing to God. Uh, we look then also at grace alone, that what motivates God to give salvation uh, comes from God alone. Right? It comes from His grace and mercy. His love is what motivates God to give His salvation to anyone. Okay? So it's nothing that originates in man. It's nothing that God responds to by which a man presents to God that earns the salvation or the grace. All of it comes as a gift from God, from heaven given to men, to un those who are undeserving. Last time, Jared uh, talked with us about faith alone. Faith is the condition that God sets out. Uh, not everyone receives grace. Not everyone receives the forgiveness of sins, but only those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet even that faith is a gift that has been given by God and that God bestows it upon men. What we're going to look at in this session is what is the source of salvation? Or, or how is it that God can forgive sinners, right? God can't just willy-nilly sweep our sins under the rug or just act like nothing has ever happened and just uh, put them away and say, you know what, even though you deserve to go to hell and even though you deserve the wrath of God, I'm just going to act like nothing ever happened and sweep all these sins under the rug and all of you can come up here to heaven with me and we'll have a uh, jolly good time for all eternity, right? God cannot do this. So there has to be something or someone that is the source of salvation. We've seen that we cannot be that source. We cannot merit or earn salvation. So how is it then that salvation is earned? Right? And it's not by us, but it is by Christ. It is through Christ alone. Christ, His person and His work, is the sole source of eternal salvation for all who would believe. So our faith does not save us. Our faith connects us to Jesus Christ. And it is Christ who saves us. It is His finished work on the cross that is the source or the foundation, the fountain by which God bestows the blessings of His salvation, the forgiveness of sin, right? The filling with the Holy Spirit, eternal life, sanctification, justification, adoption, all of those blessings of salvation that we receive, we receive based upon the merit of the work of Jesus Christ. Right, what He has done. And He is the perfect sacrifice. The ordained sacrifice given by God by which He can deal with man's sins. Right? This is the means God has established by which He can be reconciled to sinful man. Only through the work of Christ. And so we must contend that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Right? Christ alone. No one else but only Christ can save us from our sins. Only He can accomplish the salvation of God. So this is the issue that we're dealing with. right? What is the fountain, the source, the foundation of salvation? And the answer is Jesus Christ alone. He has accomplished everything needed so that we can be reconciled to God and that we can go and be with God and dwell with Him eternally in heaven. Right? We understand that God is a just and a righteous God. God is a holy God. That God cannot tolerate sin. He cannot uh, look the other way. 
He cannot sweep it under the rug. That God must deal with sin because God is a righteous God. Again, we recognize this even in our own, in our own secular courts. Right? Even in a world that is corrupt, that is filled with fallen men, we understand that there is a proper place for justice. And that a judge who is a just judge who is to dispense justice in the land, that he cannot just acquit a criminal who is found guilty. Right? He can't do that. That there must be a punishment. He must pay his debt to society. If the judge is just, he will hold the criminal responsible for what he has done. This is recognized even among fallen sinful men. Even unbelieving judges recognize that that is true. How much more true then the God of the universe who is altogether holy, who is righteous, who is just, who always does what is right. right? We know from Exodus 34 verse 7 that there God says that he will by no means clear the guilty. God cannot and he will not clear guilty sinners. He will punish them because of their sins. His justice demands so. His holiness demands so. God's righteousness demands so. That He must mete out punishment upon those who are evildoers. He will not overlook sin. He will not sweep it under the rug. He cannot because He is a righteous, holy, just God. And His wrath burns rightly against sinners because of their sin. It says in Psalm 7 verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God, because He is righteous, He feels indignation, anger, burning anger and hatred because there's sin. There's sin being committed every day by people against God. And so God, because of His righteousness, He burns with indignation against the sinners because they sin against Him. They transgress His holy law. Psalm chapter 5, verse 4 says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, and you hate all evildoers. God hates all who are evil. He hates their works, He hates their person, and all that they do. Now again, this is the dilemma that sinful man finds himself in. God hates sin. God is angry with the wicked every day. He burns against them. He rightly wants to punish sin, right? And not reluctantly. God's hands are not tied to the system. It's not that He really wants to let everyone off the hook, but He's bound to do this because He put this law into place and now He has to follow the rules. God delights in and will be glorified eternally for judging the wicked. Right On the day of judgment, when Christ Jesus, when He binds the wicked and casts them into the lake of fire, when Satan and the demons are bound there into the lake of fire, God receives glory and praise for this righteous act. Because he has passed a righteous sentence of judgment and has executed just condemnation upon those who are deserving of sin. Again, this is the dilemma that sinful man finds himself in. Because we enter into the world with a nature of sin. We enter into the world guilty before God. And we know that God will by no means clear the guilty. We come into the world guilty and God will by no means clear us. So then how can we, who are guilty sinners, be reconciled to God? Right, and we're not just guilty by birth. Certainly we have an original guilt that we inherit from our father Adam, but we're doubly guilty. Right? Not only do we have it by birth, but then we commit evil deeds all of our days. As it says in Romans 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one is righteous, no one. We all do abominable acts. We commit crimes against God. And so God must punish sinners. How then can God? A righteous God. 
one who is altogether holy and pure. And we are his enemies. We are rebels against him. How can we be reconciled to God? How can we go and go to heaven and dwell with God eternally? How can God forgive sinners? This is the issue the Bible is addressing. How is it possible? What is the means by which God establishes his salvation? And the answer is found in Christ alone. Christ is the sacrifice that has been provided by God himself by which God, his wrath can be abated. His wrath can be pacified against sinners through the work and through the person of Jesus Christ. And that we can have our sins atoned for and we can be reconciled to God and actually adopted into his family through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is what he has done. Both the person of Christ and the work of Christ. These are the only source of eternal salvation that God has provided. And if anyone from the beginning of time to the end of time will be reconciled to God, it will be on the basis of the work of Christ, on the merit of Christ's work on the cross. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is only one God. There is not multiple gods. There's only one true and living God. And God, the true and living God, has only provided one mediator. One mediator by which sinful men may be mediated to God. By which they may be reconciled to God. And this mediator is the man, Christ Jesus. He is the only way that one can be reconciled to God. For there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. That's not after the day of Pentecost. This has always been the case. There is salvation in no one else. Only Jesus Christ can save sinners. Only He can save them. And in Galatians 4 verse 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. Only Christ can save guilty sinners. Only He can save us. He is the source or the fountain of eternal life. And it is by faith that we are grafted into Christ and then we have access to the life-giving power of of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it gives life to those who are dead in their sins. This is the only way. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. And really, this is what the book of Hebrews is about. And I, I would commend it to you in its entirety, but, but we don't have time to read the whole book and make comments on it. So we're just going to pick a couple of verses here and there and again show that this is what is established here by the apostle in the book of Hebrews. That he's arguing and showing that Christ is the source of salvation and that this has been the case from the beginning of time. Even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament rituals and those symbols that were associated with the Old Covenant were there to teach the people in the Old Covenant to put their hope in Jesus Christ, that that He would be the one to deliver them. Chapter 5, verse 7 says, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 
being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Here is talking about Christ in his incarnation. In the days of his flesh, while Jesus was a man walking on this earth, dwelling on this earth, right? we realize that the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That Christ was born as a man, born of Mary, and he lived on this earth. And when he lived on this earth, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to his father. He cried out to God because God put him through many harsh and difficult tests. God put him and placed him in precarious situations. Just as it says in Acts chapter 14, that it is through many tribulations that we, the church, must enter into the kingdom of God. So our captain who went before us, he also went through many tribulations. He faced temptations, he faced sufferings, he faced hardships, tribulations, all of these things. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with much grief. And God put him through these things to test him, to prove him, to determine whether or not Christ is a fitting sacrifice, whether or not Christ is a righteous man. And what did Christ do? How did Christ respond to the tribulations and the sufferings that God heaped upon him? He did not respond by railing against God. He did not respond by turning away from God. He did not blaspheme God. He did not falter in his faith. Instead, he offered up prayers and supplications to God with loud cries and tears, and he committed his life to the one who was able to save him even from death. Right, Even there, the night that he was betrayed in the garden, knowing that his death was close at hand, Christ committed his life to his Father. He was committed to doing the will of God and to never turning away from it. He always did the will of him who sent me. He says in John chapter 4 that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He always did the will of God. So even when the most difficult of tests was placed before Christ, there going and bearing the sins of the world on the cross and dying and in, in, in suffering the full wrath and vengeance of God against sin. This was put before him, a difficult trial, a difficult tribulation and test, and yet Christ did not turn away from that, but he embraced it and he persevered through it through prayers and supplications to God. He showed that he put his trust in God and knew that God the Father could deliver him and save him even from death. Just as Abraham, many years before, his faith in God was seen and that he was willing to offer his son Isaac up on the altar. And he believed that if necessary, God would raise him from the dead. And here Christ knew he could commit his life to God. And even if his life was lost and given for the world, that God the Father would raise him up, that God would grant to him life. And so, he, as a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. His life was a life of testing, where God put hurdle after hurdle after hurdle before him. And every time God increased the test, Christ passed it with, with uh, ease. He, he passed everything, and he did exactly what God called him to do, even to the point of death on a cross. In verse 9, being made perfect. Not that Christ was imperfect and became perfect, but being proven to be perfect. Right Through all of these tests, what he proved is that he was a righteous man. 
that he was a man without spot or blemish, that he was the Lamb of God who could take away the sins of the world. But had he failed in any of these, had he committed sin, then Christ could not be a fitting sacrifice. He could not be a substitute for sinners. Only one who is spotless, who is righteous, who is sinless, can die in the place of sinful men. Had Christ committed sins, then he would have to die for his own sin. This is why no man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. You and I cannot redeem the life of each other. I cannot die for your sins because I must die for my own sins. And you cannot die for my sins because you have your own sin to deal with. But Christ, because he proved himself to be a righteous man without sin, without spot or blemish, he is a suitable and a fitting sacrifice who can stand as a substitute in the place of sinners. And this was proven through a life of righteousness. He lived a perfect life. And he never failed. He never faltered. He always did the will of him who sent him. And therefore, he has been designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is an eternal, faithful, heavenly high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not after the order of Aaron or after the order of Levi, but, but from a greater priesthood. Christ has his origin in, in, the, in the term of his priesthood. Chapter 9. Flip with me to chapter 9. <clears throat> chapter 9, verse 23. There it says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. <clears throat> Here he's talking about the necessity in the Old Covenant, all of the rites in the, the tabernacle and the things that were dedicated to God there, they had to be purified with blood. That there was blood that was sprinkled upon them, and through the sprinkling of blood, then they were purified in a ritual sense, in an outward sense, so that they could be used in the worship of God. Okay, this had to take place there in the tabernacle and in the temple. But the heavenly things have to be sanctified with better sacrifices than these. Right? They, were, they were sanctified, the earthly things, with the blood of bulls and goats, with the blood of an animal. But the heavenly thing must be sanctified with a better sacrifice. Something that is more noble, that is more valuable than the blood of a bull or a goat. Verse 24. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor is it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters a holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Just as the high priest in the Old Testament entered into the holy place, and when he entered into the holy place, he made sacrifices and atonement for the sins of the people by offering the blood of animals there before God. So Christ also, as a high priest, enters into the holy place. But the holy place that Christ enters into is not the copy. He does not enter into the earthly temple or the earthly tabernacle, the one that was made with human hands. But he enters into the true tabernacle, the true temple of God, the one that is in heaven itself. 
He goes there to the very presence of God, to the very throne of God in heaven. He appears there before God and he does it on our behalf. Nor does he have to go and do this repeatedly. He does not go once a year into the presence of God and offer sacrifices. But he offers a sacrifice one time. He does it one time, and by doing it one time, it shows that his sacrifice that he has offered to God is a suitable sacrifice. That his sacrifice makes full atonement for sin, and it appeases the wrath of God. The sacrifice of the animals, it was obvious, it was evident, self-evident, just as this was saying earlier, it is self-evident that food you put in your mouth cannot make one spiritually impure. In the same way, it was self-evident in the Old Testament that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. And the the reason it was self-evident is because they had to do it when? Every year. It was obvious that what the high priest was doing every year on the Day of Atonement, it wasn't taking away sin. But rather, it was anticipating something greater that would take away sin. And this is what he's talking about. Christ, when he died, when he did this, he entered into the true temple, the one in heaven before the very throne of God, and he offered not the blood of bulls and goats, and he did not offer this every year, but he offered himself his own precious blood one time. And then he sits down at the right hand of God the Father, showing that his sacrifice is pleasing to God, and it actually accomplishes the forgiveness of sins. It makes a full atonement. He does not suffer repeatedly. This is contra to what the Roman Catholics teach, which do believe that Christ, they teach that Christ suffers repeatedly, that his suffering is a continual suffering, and he must suffer continually to pay for the sins that we commit through life. But here the Bible teaches that his death, his sacrifice, his suffering on the cross was sufficient to cover all of the sins, past the sins committed by the fathers before the time of Christ, present and any sins committed in the future. He's able to make full atonement for all of our sins. He died once, and then he sits down, and he puts away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It is through his sacrifice that sinners are reconciled to God. He is the substitute. Instead of God punishing the sinner, he punishes his son instead. He takes our sin, and God pours out his wrath on him on the cross. One last passage, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8. And again, all of this is one big argument. So just go back and read it in Hebrews, and that'll be even better, okay? But instead, you're going to hear me blabber on. Okay, chapter uh, 10, verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 8, he says you have not desired or taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Right? If God doesn't take pleasure in them, then why did he command them to do it? Right? Why did God order them for thousands of years to offer sacrifices to him because of sin. If God does not delight in these things, if he does not desire them, then why did God tell them to do it? And what he means by this is he did not desire them to be an end in themselves. The, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they had a purpose. 
And if they were done correctly, then they were pleasing to God. Because God did command them. But the purpose of the Old Testament sacrifices was not that the people would put their hope in the blood of an animal. The purpose was that they would put their hope in the blood of Jesus Christ who was symbolized through the animal. Amen. That they, when they saw the animal die, they were to place their faith in Christ who would come and die for their sins. And it was to teach them those things. If they saw those things by faith and were properly instructed in the things of God, then it was beneficial to them and it was also pleasing to God. But if they put their hope in animals or they went through the ritual and said, okay, let's offer the sacrifice. We'll offer the bull and then that'll cover all of our sins for the next year. So now we can go and do whatever we want to do. We can live in sin. We can uh, go and eat and drink and we can play the harlot and do all these things. And God's not going to do anything to us because we offered a sacrifice. Then it's not pleasing to God. And this is what they did the majority of the time. They went through rituals, which is, again, not something unique to them. People still do this today, do they not? They get baptized, and then they think everything's all right between me and God. Right? I got baptized. I'm a member of the church. I prayed this prayer, and now I can go live however I want, and nothing's going to happen. I'm going to heaven. So people do this. They trust in rituals instead of trusting in what the ritual symbolizes, which is Christ. This is what we have to have our faith in. And that's what he says. Behold, I have come to do your will. The point is, is not that the sacrifice was an animal, but that a body had been prepared for Christ and that this, in this body, he would do the will of God. That God had prepared a sacrifice who would come in the fullness of time and that he would come and be born as a man and walk among men and that he would do the will of God and so prove himself to be a sacrifice without spot or blemish, one without sin pure and righteous who could die in the place of sinners. And this is what Christ has done. And by his will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. First Peter chapter two, he bore our sins, our sins. He was not crushed for his own sin. He was not stricken for his iniquity, but for ours. Ours was placed on him and he died. Verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Again, this is in the Old Testament. Every priest, they stand daily. You know how many animals were killed? in the temple and in the tabernacle before it millions of them over the course of time millions of them and they can never take away sins so why are they doing it if it can't take away sins it's teaching them teaching them to put their hope in the one who can take away sins put your hope in christ verse 12 but when christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin he sat down at the right hand of god waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Amen. Here's the difference between Christ and why he is a better priest, why he has a better sacrifice. His priesthood, he's able to do his duty, to go and offer his sacrifice, and then after that, he doesn't have to get up the next day and do it again. He doesn't have to come and suffer repeatedly. He doesn't come down once a year from heaven and die on the cross. He did it one time. 
And then after he did it one time, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, showing that his work is complete. He's done everything necessary, everything needed to accomplish salvation. Christ has done it. He doesn't need to do anything else. It has been secured. He doesn't have to offer more sacrifices. He doesn't have to daily stand. Now he's just waiting. Waiting for the time that God will make his enemies a footstool for his feet. And by his offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Christ's offering, not only does it forgive our sins, wash them away, but it also will perfect us. He will make us into a righteous people. We are unrighteous. He will make us righteous. We are dead. He gives us life. We are filled with rottenness and wickedness. Right? In Christ, he purifies us. He, he makes us into a child of God. This is how God atones for our sins. By offering the Lord Jesus Christ. In him coming and performing, he performs the duty of a high priest for us on our behalf. On our behalf. He offers sacrifice to God for us. And the sacrifice he gives is his own life. This is the payment that he offers to pay for our sins, right? Because God must have the debt paid, that we owe God the debt of sin. And so Christ comes and he pays the debt by offering his own life for our life, by taking our place and dying for our sin. And through his sacrifice, the wrath of God is pacified and our sins are atoned for Right In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, during the ritual, the high priest, right, he, he did a number of things. He killed the animal, right, and then he took the blood of the animal into the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. And then he would ignite and, and light the altar of incense so that smoke arose and went over the mercy seat. And this is how he atoned for the sins of the people. This is what the ritual he went through to teach them of how God would atone for their sins. In Christ, he fulfills this type perfectly. Just as the high priest killed an animal, so Christ offers his own life. He offers himself as the sacrifice. As the high priest would take blood into the Holy of Holies, so Christ takes his blood not into the earthly holy of holies he takes it into the heavenly holy of holies he goes to the very throne of god to the very presence of god in heaven just as the high priest sprinkled the blood there on the mercy seat so christ puts his blood there before the presence of god before the presence of god the father and as the high priest would ignite the incense and the smoke would go up in a pleasing aroma to god so now christ is there at the right hand of god the father and what is he doing He's interceding. He's praying for us. Praying for God to forgive us of our sins on the merit of His blood. For the sake of His blood. God, my Father, be gracious to these sinners. Be propitious to them. Forgive them of their sins. Yes, I know they're undeserving. I know that they are not worthy of it. But I have paid their debts. I have shed my blood for this saint here. So be gracious to them. And there He's an advocate for us. When Satan comes who is an accuser of the brethren, and he takes our sin and he throws it into the face of God, who is there at the right hand of God the Father to defend us, to be an advocate for us, to say that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? There is Christ. He's there before the presence of God. What can Satan say? How can he accuse us? Yes, they aren't worthy. Yes, they have sins. 
but my blood has covered their sin. My blood has atoned for their sin. I have paid in full for their sin, and there is no condemnation for him. He belongs to me. He is my child. He is my brother, and I have given my life for him. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers. He's not ashamed, even though he ought to be ashamed because of our sin, but he's not ashamed because of what he's done for us. He has made us into a holy and a righteous people. Jesus Christ. He's the one that does this through his sacrifice, through his intercession for us. This is how our sin is forgiven and how we can be reconciled to a holy God. He is the perfect and the only solution that God has provided. God has ordained it. Salvation is in Christ. He is the chief cornerstone, chosen, holy and precious, chosen by God, rejected by men, but chosen by God. And those who have faith build their life upon Christ, upon his righteousness, upon his death, his resurrection. And those who reject him, he will crush them. He will in the end crush them. This is the solution. Christ came and he lived a perfect life. He came and he died on the, on the cross, not for his sins, but for our sins. He was raised from the dead so that we might have life. And now he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father and he will come and take us to be with him and we will rule and reign with Christ. And even now he is there interceding on our behalf. And he can never die. Death no longer has any dominion over him. So he always lives to intercede for us. We have no need of anyone else. No need of any other priest to come and do anything for us. Everything is found in Jesus Christ. He is the only way anyone can be saved. And this is from the beginning of time till the end of time. Salvation from Adam to the end of the world has always been and will always be through Jesus Christ. Through faith in the person of Christ. Both God and man. Fully God and fully man. And in the work of Christ. His life, His perfect life, His death, and His resurrection. Christ has done all of these things to secure salvation for His people. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Only through Christ can we have access to God. This means any other religion. There is no salvation there. No one can be saved through Islam, through Buddhism, through Hinduism, through any other world religion. There is no salvation there. It's only death and destruction, death and sin. Those are they're demonic religions because they point people not to faith in Christ, but they point them to put their hope in something else. There's no salvation there because it's not faith in Christ. No false Christ can save. Yeah, the Mormons, they say they believe in Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses say they believe in Christ, but the Christ they believe in is not the Christ in the Bible. They reject or they deny his deity or his humanity, or they'll deny some part or aspect of his work. If they do any of this, then let them be accursed. There's no salvation there. We must believe in the true Christ, the true Christ revealed in the word of God. We must place our faith and hope only in him. And there can be no addition to the work of Christ. It must be only by the work of Christ. So we don't put our hope in Christ and then also pray to a saint. We don't put our hope in Christ and then go rub a statue of Mother Mary. This is what the Roman Catholics are teaching. Right? They say, yeah, you need to pray to Christ, but also pray to the saints. Because the saints will help you and they will give you grace as well. And Mother Mary, 
do you know they teach that she had no sin? That she also was sinless? That she did not need a Savior? That she is a co-redeemer with Christ? It's blasphemy. This is blasphemy because it says that Christ is not enough. Christ Himself, by Himself, can't save anybody. He needs help. He needs His mother to help Him. He needs the saints to help Him. He needs the Pope to help Him. He needs the church to help Him. He needs man to help Him through His free will. See, all of these things we must get rid of. We must reject. If it causes us to put our hope in anything but the finished work of Christ, we must remove it. In all of these situations, everything that we've talked about, it's Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Again, using the analogy of a glass of water, 99.9% pure water, and it's just 0.1% poison, but it will kill It's deadly. Any of it is deadly because it so mixes through it. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so it is with the truth. Any mixture of error with the truth and what happens? It mixes through it all and it destroys the whole thing. And so it is with the work of Christ. If it isn't Christ alone and we add anything to it, it ruins it. It destroys it. And then there is no more salvation there. We must, by faith, be united to the true Christ. The true Christ, the one found in the Bible. And this is where we must put our hope. All of our confidence must be in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice, Lord, that you have provided. Lord, that you have given. That you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, we were dead in our sins. Lord, unable to atone for our own sin. Lord, nothing that we could do or offer to you by which we would merit salvation. And yet, Lord, you have provided a way. Lord, a way that wicked sinners, Lord, those who are your enemies, might become your children. And it is through the blood of Christ, Lord, through his work, his giving his life for our sake, for our sins, suffering and dying on the cross because of us, And, Lord, being raised to newness of life. Lord, may we always put our confidence in him. And, Lord, trust in nothing else, knowing that anything else cannot save, only Christ. So, Lord, may we build ourselves upon this rock and upon nothing else. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.